You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Micah chapter number six, and when you find your place there, if you're able, if you could please stand in honor of the reading of the word of God. Micah chapter number six. And we'll read down from verse number one down to verse number eight. And uh, Pastor, I was just wondering for the drive-in service tonight, are we going to be able to snack while we're uh, at the drive-in service? Have some of those beforehand, Brother Nathan, some cookies or coffee or whatever else, some popcorn. But uh, we're looking forward to it. It'll be a great time tonight with the dessert auction and everything that's taking place. Micah chapter number six and verse number one. The Bible says, hear ye now what the Lord saith. Arise, contend thou before the mountains, and let the hills hear thy voice. Hear ye, O mountains, the Lord's controversy, and ye strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord hath a controversy with his people, and he will plead with Israel. O my people, what have I done unto thee? And wherein have I wearied thee? Testify against me. Verse number four, for I brought thee up out of the land of Egypt, and redeem thee out of the house of servants. And I sent before thee Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. O my people, remember now what Balak, king of Moab, consulted, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him from Shittim unto Gilgal, that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. Wherewith shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with ten thousands of rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And verse number eight, he hath showed thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. I thank you that we can gather today and we don't have to guess or we don't have to wonder uh, what you expect of us and what you desire of us. I thank you. You've made it very clear and you've given us a Bible. And I thank you that we have the words of God that we can read and we can study and we can memorize and we can meditate upon. And may we uh, today, may we not be only hearers of the word but may we be doers also. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I attempted last week, I attempted to get to our text verse, and we didn't get there, but we had a good time on the way, and I hope you were helped. I really drew a lot of attention last week to that phrase in verse number three, where God asks His people, He says, what have I done to you? And what he means is not what are the good things I've done, but he says, what are the bad things that I've done in that ye are weary of me? And I hope that as God's people, as God's children, as servants of the living God, I hope we never get tired of serving God. Now, we might might get tired and we might become weary in the work, but we should never be weary of the work. Uh, I, I, in my own life, I have to guard against, as I'm sure you do as well. But if we're not careful, we can get so focused on the things we do for God that we forget to spend time with God. 
And if you are only trying to fulfill a list of requirements and responsibilities, if that's your whole purpose in life, you're, go you're going to burn out. You're going to get discouraged. If you keep your eyes on people and you keep your eyes on what everybody else is doing, there's going to be some disappointment. But if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus and if you'll stay in love with Jesus Christ, I'll promise you this, uh, you may get tired and you may get worn out, but you'll not want to throw in the towel. You'll want to keep your eyes on Jesus and keep running the race. And we talked about that last week and we saw in verse 4 how God had saved his people. He brought them up out of Egypt. Uh, he redeemed them. And don't ever forget what God has done in your life. Don't ever forget the day that God saved you. We get to verse number five, and verse five is where I'd like to pick up today. We will get to verse eight, I promise you, and we'll see what God expects and what God requires. But in verse five, God says to his people, he says, remember now what Balak, the king of Moab, consulted. And what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him. Now, those may seem like some random names, but this was a very significant time in Israel's history. You see, God brought them out of Egypt, right? God parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry ground. And then after they got through, God allowed the, the water to come down and to drown the Egyptian army in the Red Sea. Then they're in the wilderness, and of course, they're going through the wilderness, and God gave them victories in physical battles and against physical enemies. But this verse tells us about a spiritual battle that was going on against Israel. You see, in verse number five, the names Balak and Balaam are mentioned, and Balak was the king who he tried to hire Balaam to come and to curse God's people. Now, I don't know that Israel even knew anything about this. This was spiritual battle. This was spiritual warfare. But Balak said, I'll pay you. He said, I'll make you very wealthy. I want you to curse God's people. And here's what's crazy. Balaam tried. Balaam tried, but he got to the point and he said, I'm sorry, I can't curse him. I just got to bless him. And Balak said, well, let me take you over here. Let me let you see him from this angle. And Balaam again said, I'm sorry. I know you're paying me to curse him, but I can't curse him. I got to bless him. And here's, here's what God did for his people. Now, hang on tight to this. God not only protected them physically, but God protected them spiritually. God protected them against enemies they could see, and he protected them against enemies they could not see. You see, only God can do that. Only God can take a curse and turn it around and turn it into a blessing. Only God can take a situation like that and somehow work it out for good. Remember the story of Joseph. Joseph, at the end of his life, he said to his brothers, he said, time out, guys. You're giving yourself too much credit because you meant it for evil. You tried to kill me. You tried to destroy me. You tried to lie about me. You tried to make my life miserable. He said, you meant it for evil, but hang on. There was somebody else at work and God meant it for good. God turned the curse into a blessing. And what we see in this passage is that not only did God save them, 
Not only did God save them from Egypt and bring them through the Red Sea and God gave them Moses and Aaron and Miriam to help them along the way and to lead them. But then we see that God gave protection spiritually and God gave blessing spiritually and God led them. Notice verse number, uh, let's see here, verse number five. He said he led them from Shittim. That was the city where this interaction with Balaam and uh, Balak took place. He led them from that place all the way to Gilgal. Now, again, that's just the name of a city. That's just a dot on the map. But if you know your Bible history, you know what happened in Gilgal. Gilgal was the place that after they crossed over the Jordan River, after they went into the promised land, it was at Gilgal that the angel of the Lord appeared unto Joshua. And God gave Joshua the promise that they would conquer Jericho. And God gave them the promise that they would conquer and possess the promised land. And it was at Gilgal. And God is saying to his people, I led you all the way from point A to point B. I led you every step of the way. And aren't you glad that God is leading in our lives? Aren't you glad we're not blindly wandering around trying to figure out which way to go? Aren't you thankful for the good hand of God that leads us and guides us every step of the way? You and I could take some time this week and as we give God thanks, we could look back over our lives and we could pinpoint times and places and say, God led me there. God led me there. And I didn't know where to go here, but God led me and God took care of me and God provided and God protected. God led his people. But notice verse number five. He says that ye may know the righteousness of the Lord. It's not because of our righteousness that we are where we are today. It's not because of anything good in our lives. You say, yeah, pastor, you got the Thanksgiving list, but let me tell you, I'm the one that worked for that house. I'm the one that worked for that car. I'm the one that got the promotion at work. I'm the one that did this and that. Time out. You wouldn't be able to breathe were it not for God. You wouldn't be able to get up this morning. You wouldn't be able to see or hear, or you wouldn't be able to taste or touch. You wouldn't be able to operate without God. And you see, anything good in our lives is because of God and His righteousness. Psalm 143, verse 1, the Bible says, Quicken me, O Lord, for thy namesake, for thy righteousness' sake, bring my soul out of trouble. It's not our righteousness, friend. It's not our goodness. It's not our merit. It's not our ability, but it's the righteousness of God that we are here today. And God led his people every step of the way. We get to verse number six. God tells them what he has done. And now God's people answer back and they say, well, well, how are we supposed to come before God? He's done all of this for us. So what do we do now? Notice verse number six. Shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Well, that's a good thing to do, to come in reverence and respect to God. Shall I come before him with burnt offerings? Well, that was something that they did in calves of a year old. They came and they brought animal sacrifices and that was a requirement. Verse seven, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams or with 10,000s of rivers of oil? 
God was pleased with sacrifices. Those sacrifices, they covered the sin. They atoned the sin. But they had to keep coming. And they had to keep bringing them. Because the sacrifice was not a one-time sacrifice in the Old Testament. The sacrifice was not a one-time sacrifice until the Lamb of God came on the scene. And the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, showed up and the Lamb of God shed His blood and paid the price for all sin, past, present, future. And it's the Lamb of God whose blood was shed for the covering of sin, for the forgiveness of sin, for the justification of our soul. And the question says, shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? That was a practice that the heathen nations did. They would offer their children as sacrifices to their false gods. And they said, well, maybe that's what God wants, and maybe that's what God expects. Maybe, maybe God wants us to do for Him like the other nations do for their gods. And, of course, we know the story of Abraham and Isaac where God told Abraham to take his son Isaac up to the top of the mountain and to offer him as a sacrifice. But before Abraham could go through with that, God uh, called out to Abraham and said, don't hurt your son. And of course, God did not allow him to hurt Isaac. But God did that to prove, Isaac, to prove Abraham's faith. And God did that to prove Isaac's faith. And God did that to prove that he could provide. And of course, you know the story, the Bible says that there just so happened to be, no coincidences with God, but there just so happened to be a ram that was caught in the thicket. And Abraham and Isaac realized that God provided himself a sacrifice and God wasn't looking for human sacrifices. You see, God doesn't want you to die for him. God wants you to live for him. God's not looking for a dead sacrifice. God's looking for a living sacrifice. Romans 12, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So many times we, 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 we get real emotional and we say, you know, I think I'd be willing to give my life and I think I'd be willing to die for Christ. You know, sometimes uh, you hear some stories or illustrations of, of, of years gone by and communist countries and, and people that, that were burned at the stake or people that were executed for their faith or they were thrown into prison and you say, I think I'd be willing to do it. Well, I got news for you. God's not looking for you to die for him. He wants you to live for him. And that time may never come that you have to be a martyr and you have to give your life for Christ, but how about living for Him today? And how about giving Him your heart and giving Him your worship and giving Him what He wants? He wants you. God's not looking for thousands of rams or 10,000 rivers of oil. God wants you. He loves you. He loves, uh, uh, he loves what He created in you. And He wants you to give your heart to Him. What is God looking for? He wants you. Notice verse number eight. He hath showed thee, O man, what is good. And what doth the Lord require of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? I said it last week, but I don't know about you, but I get easily focused on what everybody else is supposed to do. Do you ever have that happen at work? 
you are so good about pointing out all the things that everybody else should be doing at work. And meanwhile, you're not getting your work done, you know, or at home. I'm telling you, if the wife would do this or if the husband would do this or if the kids would do it, when we get so focused on what everybody else should be doing that we fail to fulfill our responsibilities and the things that we should be doing. And so God gives his requirements. What does the Lord require of you? I'll give them to you quickly. Before I do, let me say this. These are not the pastor's requirements. These are not the Sunday school teacher's requirements. These are not your parents' requirements. These are God's requirements. You see, if these were the requirements of a pastor, well, what happens when the pastor dies? What happens when the pastor leaves? If these were the Sunday school teacher's requirements, what happens when the Sunday school teacher's off the scene? If these were your parents' requirements, what happens when you're no longer in your parents' home? You see, people come and go. And people change and all kinds of things happen, but God's requirements do not change because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. He never leaves. He never disappoints. And if you set out to serve God, you know what he wants and you know what he expects. He gave it to you in his word and you can live for him and serve him all the days of your life if you will follow and if I will follow these three things. Let me give them to you quickly. Number one. The Bible says to do justly. To do justly, it means to live in conformity to the law. It means to live with truth and facts and honesty and integrity. The story is told about Abraham Lincoln and, of course, his nickname. What was Abraham Lincoln's nickname? Honest Abe, right? They say he got that nickname as a young man in Illinois. He was a store clerk. And there were several occasions where he realized that he had shortchanged a, cust a customer. Sometimes it was just a few pennies. But he would close down the whole shop and he would set out on foot as far as he had to go to the home of that customer and give them back the money that belonged to them. He continued that reputation as a lawyer. He continued that reputation as a politician. And he continued that reputation. Even they said in his marriage, they said he was so honest. He had such integrity that there was never once one credible story of him ever being unfaithful to his wife. How come? Because he believed in honesty. His friend wrote about him. And his friend said about Abraham Lincoln, he said, it said he believed in the great laws of truth, the right discharge of duty his accountability to God, the ultimate triumph of the right and the overthrow of the wrong. He was a man of honesty and truthfulness. Now, I wonder if that could be said about us. I wonder if as God's people, as, as those who have the truth and know the truth and Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, I wonder if our life is a life of truthfulness. So many people believe the lies of the devil. You say, well, why do people believe the lies? Because people have gotten used to lying. Did you know it used to be a shame to lie? Now it's just become commonplace. People lie to their spouse and people lie to their boss and people uh, lie to uh, their neighbors and people lie to their friends and people lie and they think that's just the way it is. And then people try to lie to God. Guess what? They get stopped in their tracks because you're not going to fool God. 
You're not going to pull the wool over God's eyes. He knows. He knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. And we must get back to telling the truth. God hates lying. God despises lying lips. They're an abomination unto him and his God's people. We must get back to truth. Bob Jones Sr. said this, do right till the stars fall. Do right. D.L. Moody said your integrity is what you are in the dark when you think no one else sees you. If we are going to meet the requirements of God, number one, we must be truthful. Number two, I want you to notice the Bible says to do justly and to love mercy. Number one, we must be truthful. Number two, we must be tenderhearted. You know, the Bible says not just to show mercy, but to love mercy. Now, I like it when people show me mercy. Is there anybody else that appreciates it when someone shows you grace and shows you mercy that you don't deserve? Anybody else appreciate that? All right. If you live in the home with someone that did not raise their hand, nail them to the wall as soon as you get home because they don't want that. They don't want mercy. They want you to be uh, brutal with them. No, I'm just kidding. But be tenderhearted. Have love mercy. The word mercy means kindness or pity. It doesn't just say show it, but to love mercy, to make it a part of your life. Look for opportunities this week to be kind and compassionate to people who don't deserve it. You say, well, pastor, that's just the thing. I'm, I'm okay with being kind to people that are nice to me, but what about the people that are harsh? What about the people that are rude? And what about the people who've hurt me? Well, I'll give you a verse for that. How about Ephesians 4.32? Well, the Bible says, and be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. We did not deserve the kindness of God. We deserved eternity in a place called hell. But I'm glad that God forgave us. I'm glad that God showed us mercy. And as God's people, may we have kindness towards others. May we have a burden for people who are lost. You say, but why are people so mean? Well, it might be because they don't know Jesus. It might be because they've never been born again. Why are people so mean to me? Why are people so rude? And how could somebody say something like that? Maybe because they're backslidden. Maybe because they need somebody to love them enough that they'll come back to Jesus. And maybe they need somebody to invite them to come to church. Or maybe they need somebody that'll pray for them. Maybe they need somebody that'll show them the love of God in their life. But friend, we must love mercy. This is not Pastor Jeremy's requirement. This is not Victory Baptist Church's requirement. These are the requirements of God Almighty. He says to love mercy. And then number three, not only be truthful, not only be tenderhearted, but number three, the Bible says to walk humbly with thy God. Wow. It's an amazing thing to think of us as human beings having a walk, having a relationship, having a friendship with a holy God. You know how that's going to work? It's going to have to work with a dose of humility. It's going to have to work when we realize that we're nothing without God. You see, this whole idea of thanksgiving, really, it comes down to humility. When we recognize that anything good we have is not because we deserve it, it's because God's been good to us. And we are to walk humbly with our God. Number three, we must be teachable. The word humbly, it means lowly. 
It means to have meekness and submission to the divine will. You've heard the illustration before, I assume. But the Bible says in James 4 that God resisteth the who? The proud. Uh, He doesn't resist the robbers, just because I was pointing down there. He loves the robbers, okay? God resisteth the Johnsons. No, no, no. God resisteth the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. Here's the illustration. First of all, if you, if you ever played football, you are to be commended. I never played football. Uh, I played soccer. I played basketball. I played baseball. Played mini golf. Well, you know, a few other things like that, but never football. But, you know, you see those guys who are running like a freight train and they hit each other and they plow through each other. And then you see you get a running back or you get a fullback or someone that gets out on the outside and the defender's coming in for the tackle. You ever see where they actually, you know, it's the the Heisman pose, you know, they kind of push off and they give the stiff arm. You ever seen that? That's the idea there. You know, that's what God does to the proud. You say, well, I thought God loves us. He does. I thought God cared about us. He does. But you're not going to get close to God in your pride. And I'm not going to get close to God in my pride because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Pride so often stands in the way of us meeting the requirements of pleasing God. You say, well, who has pride? All of us, if we're honest. Please don't come to me after the service and say, well, pastor, I'm not proud. Well, maybe not, but you're a liar, okay? (laughs) Because we all battle with pride. And you say, well, I don't act that way, but sometimes we do. So how do we act proud? When we don't pray. You know what that's telling God? We don't need God. When we don't read the Bible, when we don't love one another, when we don't do the things that God has told us, we're saying, God, I can live just fine without you. I'm okay. The Bible tells us that God resists the proud, but he giveth grace to the humble. God hates our pride. We must walk humbly with God. The more you walk with God, I promise you, the more humble you're going to be. The more you walk with God, the more holy you and I will be. God gives us these three requirements. I say in closing, I say this. You say, well, pastor, does that mean that you have to be truthful? Does that mean that you have to be tenderhearted? Does that mean you have to be teachable to go to heaven? Oh, no. We're not talking about requirements to get to heaven. You say, well, what's the requirement to get to heaven? There's only one. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The requirement to go to heaven is to be willing to believe in what Jesus did for you on the cross. To accept a gift. We're getting ready to come up. We're coming up on Christmas. You know what you do for those gifts at Christmas time? You just receive them. The price has already been paid. The work's already been done. And Jesus already paid the price on the cross. He already did the work on the cross when he said, it is finished. And all you have to do to come to Christ for salvation.
is to believe and to put your trust in Him. I'm not talking about three requirements to get to heaven, but I'm talking, talking about three requirements to please God. Three requirements to be the Christian that God wants you to be. Number one, we must be truthful. How are you doing in that area? Uh, give yourself a test this afternoon. Give yourself uh, an exam this week and say, how am I doing in telling the truth? Number two, be tenderhearted. How's your heart for others? Do you have compassion for people? Do you ever, you ever see somebody walk by and say, I wonder if they're going to heaven. I wonder if they know Jesus. Do you ever see somebody having a hard time and say, I, I wonder what I could do to help that person? And then number three, to be teachable. Would you, would you humble yourself? And could we humble ourselves and just say, we need God to teach us. We need God to show us. None of us, as far as nobody here I've met so far, none of us have arrived. As a matter of fact, the longer I live, the more I realize I got a long way to go. I want to be teachable, and I want to walk humbly every day with God. Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week. Thank you.